States. So hello everybody, welcome to Sonic Talk number 145. Uh, we're finally getting there, although it does seem a little bit um, jumpy. I'm sorry for the technical problems, I don't know what's going on. I think it might be bandwidth my end, which is usually fine. But anyway, all of those in the chat room, thank you very much for uh, joining us uh, and hanging in there. And um, uh, and I've, of course my OS that I'm crashing on is 10.5.6, not 10.6. Sorry about that information. Sonic Talk can be found at sonicstate.com forward slash live uh, if you want to join us every week. Uh, normally, it's a lot better than this in terms of uh, technical problems, but we're going to soldier on, and we've got a, a full complement of regular guests, so it's really nice to have everybody back. I'll start with uh, Dave Spears from g4software.com, because we haven't spoken to him for quite some time, and it's it's great to have you aboard. Dave, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. Good. Glad to hear it. You're sounding full. Have you got a new mic, or are you on the same setup? Uh, same, same old, same old. Same old, same old. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you could join us. Uh, you've been busy and up to much. I know that you've been holding the fort while Chris was on holiday, and um, it was your lady wife's birthday last week. Um, we wished her a happy birthday, and I hope she had a nice day. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, I think she did. She was a bit <laughs> miserable about getting older. Yeah, well, that's what happens to you, isn't it? But yeah, no, good, good, good couple of weeks, a lot of work being done. So yes, head down, really. Excellent, excellent. And um, let's say also hi to PJ Tracy, because uh, we dropped him earlier, and we'll, we'll, we'll say it while we can. How are you doing, PJ? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yeah, uh, weather is beautiful here in Minneapolis for being so late in the season, and uh, I couldn't be happier. Great, well, I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear it. PJ Tracy, Emmy-winning PJ Tracy, pjtracymusic.com for all your PJ needs. And that tapping you can hear, the heavy f- footfall of Rich's um, fine <laughs> typing, uh, typing style uh, is uh, Rich Hilton. From sunny Connecticut. Oh, I don't know if it's sunny, but uh, Rich is obviously Mr. Sound Engineer Extraordinaire, works in the studio, keyboard player, works with the stars on a regular basis. How are you doing, Rich? I'm doing very well, thank you, Nick. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm good. I'm starting to get a little bit of a sweat on, obviously, because we've had two crashes on Skype, so the adrenaline is beginning to flow. That's probably why I'm talking very fast. I'll try and slow it down a bit. <laughs> Just- but we live, we live for the thin ice. Yeah, I suppose I suppose one does, wasn't doesn't one? That's that's a good point. I I shall feel much better for it. Um I'm sure. And our final <laughs> guest is uh, Mark Tinley from uh Cambridgeshire and uh, Mark is uh, I I think uh, if I understand you correctly you've just come off uh, riding a a mean hog motorcycle that you just built. I've been playing with it today, yeah. And I think the adrenaline I've got lots of adrenaline going around my system because I've discovered two things. If I give it lots of stick or accelerate hard in first gear, I come off the seat and it doesn't really have much of a back mudguard. So I'm sort of inches from a large spinning piece of rubber, which I could land on. Wow. And then the other thing I've discovered is if I go over any bumps at all, manhole covers or anything, because it has no rear suspension, I come off the seat. And the only reason I'm staying on this because I'm holding onto the handlebars for dear life. So I figure if I hit a large bump while accelerating hard, I'm more than likely to land on my ass on the road, so it's very exciting. Let me just think. So the wheel is spinning uh, forward. If you landed on the tyre, it would throw your groin area sort of at breakneck revolution speed under the seat, and there. I hope you're using slicks and not knobblies on the back. Uh, It's pretty smooth, the rear tyre. Yeah, Yeah. and it does have some tread on it, but it's a race tyre on the back. So Time to invest in some uh, asbestos underpants, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, maybe. And the other thing is Toastmasters, uh, the speaking club I go to, say that um, adrenaline is good and makes for good public speaking. So 
Okay. Uh, I did a public tour once. I had to go to I had to go to Australia for it. They flew me there and everything, and I had a, I think it was an hour planned, and I was so nervous I got it all over and done within about twenty five minutes, <laughs> and I timed myself previous. So yes, huh? I, I, that's a lesson I learned. I haven't done any public speaking since. Uh, obviously, wasn't rebooked, but um, thanks for oh, the tip. I was, see, I just did the opposite thing. I did. I entered a competition last week for humorous speaking. And you have to finish within seven minutes, and you have a thirty-second leeway on that. And I talked for eight minutes and two seconds, so I was outside. So I got disqualified. Oh I was no! Upset about that. I think I would have done. You know, I think I would have been in the top two. I'm mean, not. Were they rolling in the aisles though? The people were like, yeah. That you got some. Get, you got some laughs because the strange thing about um, the, the strange thing about having. Asperger's is that if I talk very literally about things, for some reason, people who don't have Asperger's find it really funny, and I don't understand what I don't understand it at all. If I tried to write something humorous, nobody would find it funny. But if I just talk the way I talk, people laugh. Ah. I used to think they were laughing at me, but now I know that they are. <laughs> it's a natural <laughs> gift. <laughs> As is demonstrated. Well, PJ and I have uh, not bucked the trend and just laughed as well but thanks for exactly. that uh, well let's get on because we've got a few topics actually um i've been responding to the um uh to the concept of actually bringing some more tech and korg have very kindly um stepped into the breach and released a number of quite interesting products so uh let's start with this because i think i've got a clip to play え、圧力センサーでこんな風にコントロールできるわけですけど。で、こちら側には今スタールみたいな音が。That sort of rather um well, it sounded fairly Asian and kind of what's the word tabla derived sort of Drumming was the sound of the brand new Korg Wave Drum WDX leaked this week uh, from, well, probably the end of last week, actually, via there was a Japanese dealer conference in Japan, um, which was a sneak preview of the worldwide release, which apparently is coming in ooh, a matter of days. I think Monday is when it's all going to be officially announced, so we'll know for sure. Um, and that was the uh, only clip that I felt found. Um, uh, but there's a Wave Drum WDX. There's also a Korg, something called a Korg Micro Sampler, which looks really nice. And the sta- the Korg SV1 Stage Piano, which if anyone's ever se- seen any pictures of it, it looks also really nice. So, um, well, let's start with the drummer, because uh, I know that the Wave Drum is likely to get you um, quite excited. Or not. Dave. That's you, Dave, isn't it? <laughs> well, we're all drummers, really. Yeah, no, I was I was really surprised at this. In fact, I was on chat with somebody who'd seen a kind of sneak preview on their website and it said something like a wave, it had a waveform, something exciting was coming and we were like, oh, is it going to be another wave? Um, what was that synth called? Did Wave Station. Ah, right, okay. So I was really pleasantly surprised when this uh, turned up. Uh, and the video is quite interesting. The one thing that I will say is that, I mean, obviously I borrowed your... Um, HPD. HD, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sonic. And what was interesting is that when uh, handing that over to a really top-rate, genuine percussion player, he was a bit kind of perturbed at the emulation of acoustic 
percussion sounds mm. because obviously he's got a million and one acoustic percussion instruments. So what he was after was something new and a kind of, you know, another 909 kit kind of didn't really cut it. So I kind of hope that this has got some exciting new sounds that you can hand to a percussion player and go, right now get all of those nuances that you can't really get out of other things. Yeah, I see what you mean. So rather than get the nuances, you know, you may as well actually just use a conga rather than, you know, a wave drum. There's certainly an element of that. But yeah. I mean, I, I, I did like the original wave drum, even though it looked a bit like a toilet seat. <laughs> I did, didn't I? I never, I never really thought of it like that, but you're absolutely right. How much was it originally? I mean, the original wave drum was what, a couple of grand, a couple of thousand bucks? or Yeah, or probably, I, I forget. It was very expensive. And they only did a very small run, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, I know Eric Eric Persing's got one, and uh, he was always kind of very keen on it. Um, and I do remember we did a review for Sound on Sound. In fact, using my brother-in-law's brother as a percussion player. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, he was quite impressed with the sort of nuances you could get out of it. But I think this is definitely a step up. Yeah, well, I'm not totally sure, but um, all I know about it is a sort of Jap English kind of uh, translation. Uh, uh, it's 24-bit. 48k high quality DSP technology directly inherited rather than the previous version of PCM system plus a full modelling approach which is quite encouraging perhaps for sounds that are going to be a little bit more out there. Uh, Mm. Existing real percussion sounds as well as synth sound and sound effects are available. Uh, I mean it's hard to tell from the actual um, video but it looks like there's maybe four banks of four sounds but it's hard to be sure there's also uh, a load of expression from spreading uh, pressure sensor that's built better this is I say this is a translation the sensor is very excellent and very sensitive to the strength of the fingers and quickly reacts so um, I'm quite excited and I have a little bird has told me um, that we may be getting uh, an exclusive on that. Um, I'm told it might be with us by the end of the week, Ooh. but I'll, I'll, and if, if so, Dave, um, feel free to come up and, and check it out. Cause it would be, uh, be quite exciting. I wonder if it outputs loads of interesting MIDI data and things. Probably. Yes. That could be chaos. Couldn't it? In terms of editing. Oh yeah. All that continuous controller. Uh, um, John Bones just joined us in the chat room. Hi John. Um, or guest three, three, six, six. Um, maybe someone can help him. Um, figure out how to change his nickname because i can't remember how to do it now <laughs> anyway um so yeah that's one thing um rich rich hilton did you ever play with the wave drum does it excite you in any way i never played with the wave drum i did play in a band with a guy who had a moog drum a moog pre- drum predates the wave drum oh, um i've been around a number of roland hand sonic user type guys um but no i haven't been around the wave drum does it excite me yeah it looks interesting um I kind of like the way the hand sonic stuff defines different regions on the control surface. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't quite know how you'd get around that on the wave drum, but I can clearly see from the demo that the guy did. So, yeah, I think you've got center edge and uh, rim, um, different zones on the rim. It looked like as well. Right. So, but but yes, I'm not not sure what that was. So, um, but yeah, I think it's going to be exciting. At fifty thousand yen, which is around about five fifty six hundred dollars, that's entirely unofficial, of course. But if it is, that might um, give a clue as to maybe how flexible and how unique it is. It might be a little less than you know everything we'd hope for, but certainly as a playable surface for that sort of price, it seems like a reasonable price. I don't know. I'll tell. Um, um, anybody else excited? PJ. Yeah, I think it looks great. Um, I did have. The pleasure of seeing the original once on a a tour that Korg did of that product, uh-huh. and one of the things that I thought was really cool is how you could 
you could scratch and kind of rub the surface and and get uh you know get sound out of it so it'll be interesting to see how they how they uh, integrated the modeling into this system and and how far you can push that because then you might be able to get some some really unique sounds out of it yeah let's hope so let's hope yeah. so um but while we're on the subject of cool stuff it's not just the single uh, item it's obviously the micro sampler as well which also looks kind of cool and that's looking like it's going to be room- rumored to be around the 500 bucks mark as well now that looks pretty interesting it's uh, called the micro sampler it was leaked in this at the same time uh, i have got a clip but it doesn't really show off it's just like guys beatboxing into it and then playing it back so it's not you know perhaps something i've got a clip for but uh, let me just give you a rundown 37 keys eight user banks a to H with 160 seconds per bank uh, mono. Uh, 40 sample rates of 48, 24, 12, and six. Five types of sampling: loop, one shot, gate, auto next, and key gate. Uh, which sounds kind of like it could work for perhaps auto sampling chromatically. I don't know; it's, it's impossible to know for sure. 14 voice poly, stereo mono, regardless. Uh, 64,000 note sequencer, one per bank. 96 ticks per quarter note resolution midi in out and usb uh runs on batteries uh weighs nearly two kilograms that looks kind of cool because nobody's made a hardware sampler for a while have they not a keyboard version anyway no this does look cool it did look really excellent i think as far as i i have a, a contact in korea where they've actually brought out some there are what units available he's actually i'm hoping going to do us a little bit of an overview uh, uh if we get the chance as well so he might get a scoop on that but we'll we'll see uh and he says that it doesn't look like it does kind of multi sampling key grouping because the thing is is i mean the one thing that we are missing i think is a hardware sampler that can translate akai stuff and bring in kind of key group type sounds easily uh, maybe that there's ways via computer editor that that's going to happen it could sort of take over because we're all everybody who's using samplers is either kind of stuck with sticking a computer in the rack which is is okay but you need to be really set up to use that but there's not really any other options it's the immediacy uh, what was that roland one i love that the, sp the one, the, 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 one uh, of the sps no you remember the one with the, uh, had a turntable a kind of phone oh, dj oh yes gosh that was really cool I never you I never saw one. It looked absolutely massive. Uh, it wasn't wasn't massive. I mean, it wasn't huge, wasn't it? it? No, it was really neat as well because you could kind of do stuff on the fly. I remember setting it up for a guitarist just to kind of record stuff on the fly and then re-trigger stuff and whatnot. And it, that was actually really good fun. Lacked a lot of memory, but I mean, this this was the early days. Yeah, well, it was kind of hundred pounds a second, wasn't it? <laughs> it was kind of yes. awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, people are saying it's, it could be the kind of modern day SK1, which was, if anybody remembers, was the first foray into kind of really cheap keyboard sampling, which is the Casio thing, which people used for, uh, you could sample, oh, I don't know, almost uh, a finger, cl- finger snap, I think, in enough memory, had enough memory for finger snaps. 0.8 seconds it had. 0.8 seconds. Well, Mark, you are the... Got uh, one. You got I one at Circuit Bentwood. Does this Korg excite you? I mean, I know it's hard to get excited. It does look quite interesting, actually. I'm just sort of reading about it and looking at it and thinking, yeah, okay. I could see where, if it ha- if it can run off batteries and I can take it to other places, I can see where I could use that. But I need it needs to do something that I can't do with the iPhone because I've got something in the iPhone that does sampling. Yeah, but it so doesn't allow play- you to play it back. Uh, and also, if you get a phone call, it's uh, no longer a sampler, is it? No, that's very true. It's called iSample. It's quite good, but... 
Uh, okay. Well, uh, there is, in fact, bizarrely enough, I've seen a couple of pictures and there's a little sort of slot on the top that you can drop an iPod or an iPhone into so you can integrate the ins and outs. I don't think it's got a dock, but uh, it's obviously a place to put your pens and your iPhone and, um, you know, anything else. Not and drink- it, says, it says more information from the Korg website, but I can't find the. No, thing. well, it's on the Japanese one and um, it's not coming. The, the, the embargo has been lifted. I think it's the 14th or the 19th they're going to finally open the doors and give us the full gen on this oh right okay. but it's quite it could be quite interesting have i mean we got a price well they say it's gonna let's have a look i have got some prices listed here uh it says maybe the same price level as the current micro series so maybe f- six five six seven hundred dollars something like that so oh, i don't okay. know That's so you reasonable. know it looks like it's quite well built because the, all the knobs and stuff are recessed so it's not going to sort of snap off i mean um, in the early like- to sort of mid 90s i was in a band and we did everything in an Akai MPC kind of thing, yeah. which did all the sequencing and everything. And the fact that this is a sampler with a sequencer in almost makes it something that you could have a keyboard player in a band with one of these and they could do all of that, for, you know, run everything for you. Well, it's quite possible with a sequencer, if you think about it, if it's a sequencer and it'll run a load of loops, depending on, I don't know how many, multiple, you know, how many sequences it could run, but you could be heading towards a little bit of uh, kind of, low cost version of Ableton Live and certainly for playback of loops and what have you. And the other thing I like about things with batteries in as well is if you run them off a power supply live on stage, right? Mm. The power supply gets kicked out or the power goes down or something goes wrong. The thing just carries on, doesn't it? Well, some do, some don't. Some don't um can't switch. You have to have to switch on in the right mode. So, I mean, maybe they've got that right. I mean, we'll see. Hopefully. Uh, but I imagine the other thing that's probably exciting to uh, perhaps uh, PJ and Rich is this SV1 stage piano. I don't know whether you got a chance to look at that because that sort of went a bit below the radar and I didn't get a chance to put it in the notes. But you may have seen it in, uh, 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 you know, off your own back, which looks kind of interesting. And that's a, a la, it's a seventy, an eighty-eight or a seventy-three key weighted. Uh, it's got something called. Uh, enhanced definition synthesis, 512 megs of ROM, uh, ooh, that kind of stuff. It looks like it's going to be around about 1,502 grand, um, something like that. But that, and it looks lovely. It does look lovely. I don't know what to, I know, um, Rich, you're a, you're a, you're a Roland keyboard uh, pianist through, through and through. To, to Korg, Sometimes. But Korg made quite a lot of good pianos in the past, didn't they? Korg's done very well with pianos, and a lot of people uh, love them and play them, and I've, uh, w- um, we used to have when I was in Chic. Uh, the other girl who was playing piano used to use a uh, Triton Extreme on occasion, and uh, I have every reason to believe that it would be a fantastic instrument. Well, this looks like it does um, electromechanicals, organs. I'm looking for it. Where, where is it's is- called the SV One. So if you look for uh, Korg. Uh- Korg SV-1 it'll probably show up somewhere and there's pictures and it looks a little bit I'll tell you what it looks like it reminds me a little bit of a cross between a Nord and one of those new Fender Rhodes kind of with the kind of wraparound rounded sort of Wurlitzer style style casing PJ have you have you checked this out it's something that excites you it looks it doesn't look very deep it looks like it could be quite lightweight yeah, no, I haven't seen it yet. I'm looking for it as well. Um, and yeah, it does interest me because I'm actually going to buy a stage piano sometime in the next month, I think. Woo. Uh, what, what's in the short running for you then? 
Uh, right now I'm looking at Kurzweil's, uh, the PC3. Yeah. And um, because I really like them. And the new, the Roland, um, the model that Rich has, the S770. Okay. Is also what I'm looking at. But I, I like the feel of the Kurzweil a little bit better. I used a, a Korg O1W Pro X for years as my controller. So that's. Uh, that's something I like. Although I, I do have to say, I'm, I'm as far as a raw piano sound, I don't think in the past that Korg has always gotten it right. I think uh, Yamaha and Roland and Kurzweil have done it. I think Korg, Korg had it in about um, the late 80s, early 90s, from what I remember. Due to, yeah. There was the SG Grand and that sort of stuff. I remember lots of jazz people used to come and play it. There was a really big jazz pianist who came to uh, a club I was working in. I can't remember his name now, but he played it, and I thought he made it. It did sound lovely, but uh, I think the because the early RDs were a bit um, unrealistic, whereas yep. they might have had a great playing action. I think that's where yep. that's the other thing they've got, isn't it? The Rolands have got a great playing action. For, as I understand it, Rich, you'd know more about this than I would. I would. I would think. Well, I like the Roland playing action, and uh, tangentially sort of related to this is Roland is doing uh, a tour with their V piano and some new drum thing, and uh, inviting people to come and check them out. Oh, you got to go! You got to go and see go- that. I am going to go. Brilliant. Well, yeah, no. Let's. When when's that? You can let us know how it goes. Uh, it's about ten days. Oh, really? Uh, maybe two weeks hence. Yeah, two weeks from now. Cool. So you finally get to try the v, the V piano. Brilliant. Yeah, I'd love to. I hope so. Yeah, I sure do hope so. Okay, well, anyway, this this news is all very hush-hush, and obviously if you're listening now, you uh, you have to destroy this uh, recording um, and uh, wait until sometime <laughs> in mid-September when they will be announcing the Wave Drum WDX, the SV1 Stage Piano, and the Micro Sampler. Uh, as you can imagine, it, I don't know how they keep doing it, but um, Korg are consistently good at releasing stuff that kind of seems to excite people and that's great because these are big things you know they're not little things they're not sort of little micro things so i mean good good on to them they've obviously got a good r&d department and their consistencies they're in the uh, ascendancy not in the ascendancy at their zenith i don't know what you'd say so good for you Korg. <laughs> so uh is this what do you think this is what dave robinson was alluding to the other week no i know what dave robinson was alluding to it uh, was nothing okay. to do with this it's something yeah. completely different Okay. Yeah. No. If he'd heard, if he'd heard about that before, even before us, then I'd be uh, I'd be I'd be making calls and asking questions. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you, there's an electric piano I'm looking for, and it's yep. called a, it's made by Denon. Denon. What the yeah. CD players? And Howard Scar turned me onto this, and we were listening to it, and it's very very Wurlitzer like, and it's uh, it sounds really gorgeous. Really. And it's very old. Yeah. Oh, it's an old one, right? Okay. Yeah, so done in Japanese yeah, or American brand? Uh, I believe it's Japanese. I think it was made by Columbia or something. I, I, we we tried to do a load of research on it, but um, didn't seem there were very many made. But it sounds fantastic, and it sounds very Wurlitzer like, but without having the corrugated iron playing action of a Wurlitzer. Yes, I've got a Wurlitzer EP two hundred A, and it's yes, it's not um, not the finest of playing actions. Although it's a lot better than most of my <laughs> synth keyboards. But uh, yeah, that at the moment, it, piano is beautiful. The what? Yeah. You, the found a, you found a picture yeah, of it? I found a picture. Yeah, it looks great. It looks nice, doesn't it? It's got yeah. a kind of, it looks a bit like a boat dashboard. I mean, it, but in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, somewhere on their website, they, re- they mention it as being a vintage stage piano. 
Ah, okay. It's and got something called valve reactor. I'm looking at the uh, the bullet list here, and it says valve reactor, whatever that means. I guess it's some kind of valve. Maybe it's, maybe it's like a tube like they've got in the Triton Extreme. Ah, maybe. Oh, uh, yeah. Or they're um, – what are those uh, – those little models that they had, the the little synthesizers and the drum machines that they released in the late nineties, blanking. Yeah, the yeah, uh, uh, yes, tribe. electrodes, tribe? Like the electrodes. Yeah, electrodes. exactly. Yeah, those so, had uh, later models had tubes in them as well. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. They look lovely, don't they? Anyway, um, um, because of the slightly late start to this, I'm going to jump in and, and do an ad. It seems like a good point to do an ad for uh, Roland. Uh, Roland, who uh, have a continued sponsorship of the podcast, we thank them very much for their continued support. And they'd like to draw your attention to the Juno DI, which is, uh, it feels like I've been talking about it for a long time, but I guess that's because we got it for review so early that uh, we were kind of, we've been there since the very first model appeared um, back in the Lim Show, back in June, I think it was. So Juno DI, of course, um, is their sort of mobile synthesizer. It's got Phantom G engine. Uh, the unit itself is, in fact, um, more like it's like a preset performance-based synthesizer. Really easy to use. Lots of favorites. A quick way to set a multi-timbral splits, layers. Uh, there's this great um, super layer mode, which allows you to layer up to five instances of the same sound for kind of real thick sounds. Uh, it, but also it comes with a software editor, which you uh, connect via, via USB which gives you really quite deep editing possibilities and you can get right in there and get some really kind of cool stuff going on it's got a thousand presets also runs on batteries it's got a mic input you've got reverb on the mic it's got a song playback function which plays back mp3s midi files and uh wavs also so you can maybe put backing tracks in there or if you're like doing show stuff you can get the tunes you need to get and it's got a uh, center cancel on the audio so you can lose the vocal if you want to sing along or practice or whatever with it thoroughly recommend you check it out i really enjoyed using it uh, while i had it here very inspiring um just to play with really so if you do get the chance to go and check one out and end up buying one tell them we sent you because uh, it'll make us look good and everybody will be happy so uh, please do go to uh, roland.co.uk uh, and check out the juno di or if you're in another part of the world check out the Ju- juno di anyway and like i say tell them we sent you i would like to say once again thank you very much to roland uk for their continued sponsorship of the show that was an advert wasn't it that was an advert did it not sound like one I know, I just completely zoned out. Then I thought, should I be listening to this? What, 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 what are we talking about? <laughs> then oh, I realised at the end that it's an advert. It's okay, I didn't need to be with no. you on that. But I'm probably going to go and buy that bloody product now. Though, do, I need to, do, do I need to think about my delivery style because I'm actually causing people to sort of like stare blankly at their computer screen and wonder no, what, what I'm talking about? No, if you can get talking- people to trance out, you're in their subconscious. Oh, really? You're like so Blipvert. They'll, they'll go and buy now. God knows what you've got me to buy, but... <laughs> it's a Roland Juno DI mark. You'll love it. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> You've created a mantra candidate. Wow, fantastic. Well, <laughs> folks, with all this kind of innovation and uh, new stuff happening, it's with uh, well, it's it's an interesting contrast. This next story, which is the Behringer, uh, released a new website, uh, which is much better than the old one, I must admit, but it does bear more than a passing resemblance to the apple website obviously uh, excluding the actual logo and uh, products on there and um peter kern over at create digital music wrote a very interesting um piece editorial piece about the whole kind of concept of the rights and wrongs of uh, innovation and whether copying or you know using um stuff that was already there and improving on it you know all of that kind of stuff and i just thought wonder what everybody thought about it i know behringer do get a lot of stick for being kind of clone merchants but at the same time, whenever you read a review of their stuff, it's usually kind of like it's very hard to fault because it's 
it provides this equipment at a very low cost. I mean, sure, it may not last you the rest of your life, but the price reflects that. And it's a good way for people to get their hands on things. So I just wonder whether it was worth just a quick, quick discussion of this. I know, uh, Dave, uh, you um, obviously view the Apple website on a regular basis. And in fact, I believe there might be some kind of announcement happening sometime around now, some new hardware. Do you think it's going to confuse anybody? Do you think Steve Jobs is going to come after Uli? All guns blazing? Blimey, I couldn't even hazard a guess on that. <laughs> no. one would be what? flip a coin. Flip a coin, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's very close, isn't it? I don't think it's going to confuse anyone. I think don't think that people who go to the Behringer site are going to think that they're on the Apple website. No. Although you never know. That's true, but I think there's something in the T's and C's that says, um, you know, about the look and feel and general kind of design of the website is uh, copyrighted. So that's sort of a fairly blatant. Um, you it's know. very, very <laughs> close, isn't it? I mean, even, the, you know, just the click buttons and everything. Amazingly close. Hmm. Uh, Matt C says 6 p.m. our time tonight is some some kind of big Apple announcement. Maybe they're going to announce just that they're going to sue Behringer. Oh, <laughs> maybe that's going to be it. They're going to haul Steve Jobs out of a gurney. Or that. maybe they're going to uh, announce a redesign of their website and it's going to end up looking like the old Behringer website. What are the yeah, chances of that? Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Very slim. Very <laughs> slim. Anyone got any Behringer gear? Let's have a quick poll. I would like to say that I have quite a number of their gear. I've got the 88000, which is a, a eight-channel uh, light pipe um, A to D um, converter. I've also got the Behringer C1 large capacitor microphone, condenser microphone, which was the sound of the podcast for a long time since uh, until I got hold of this Rode Procaster, which is a dynamic, which I much prefer now. And in fact, I've purchased the very microphone, so it will be with us. Uh, I'm sure, and I've got some of the BCR 2000, BCF 2000 controllers. You know, I have got a number of, a bit of gear. Dave, have you got any? Uh, no, I did have a desk of theirs, which I really ummed and ahed about because it was like, oh, you know, I was super skint at the time and needed a desk. And I was kind of, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe I should wait and just try and save up a bit more money. And then um, a mate of ours, Lee, actually, um, I spoke to him and he said, dude, I've written, I've uh, Produced and released about eight albums on my Behringer, and nobody has ever criticised them. And Lee, as you know, is a tough producer. And I just thought, yeah, sod it, I'll buy it. And I did. And it served me really well until I spilt, I think, whiskey in it. Whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> now, well, I hope it was it was it uh, was it um, was it actually Scotch whiskey or was it a Japanese copy whiskey? No, it was a <laughs> genuine single malt. I remember Chris's face. Ah, uh, that's painful. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, yeah, no, I, I used to have the Behringer Xenix uh, little mixer, which was brilliant for podcasts. It was a th- alt three bus thing, but yes, I mean, it doesn't have a, a great longevity. How about anybody else? Anybody else care to admit to having any Behringer stuff? Mark I've got Tinley. a Behringer thing somewhere. I don't know where it is, though, so I can't tell you what it is. It's a little mixer, which is very useful for submixing things. Yeah. I would agree. Um, I mean, I think um, there is there is that as well. But it does but it's, all... It's a copy of a Mackie, really, isn't it? Yeah, that, it sort of is, really, isn't it? Um, it's the layout. They um, they sort of, you know... Yes, they did. They did. And the fact that there's an, a, a Mackie Onyx and a Behringer Xenix is kind of a bit... It's, it's a little yeah. bit closer than you'd sort of think from chance, isn't it? Uh, what about PJ? You got any Behringer stuff? I do not. Nope. I don't, uh, I don't have any, and my, I have very limited experience with, with Behringer gear. We had uh, some kind of Behringer mixer in a studio that I used to, used to be in years ago, but I never, I never laid my hands on it. It was just kind of a sidecar thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the sort of thing. 
Yep. What are these monitors on the Behringer website that look remarkably like some other monitors? Uh, I don't know. I don't the think yellow... I've re- I haven't. Re- oh, yeah, they look a bit like KRKs, don't they? Yes. God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> a lot like KRKs, actually. <laughs> You're a bunch of pirates, lad. Arr. Arr. Rich, any Behringer love going your way? I've never used a piece of Behringer, no. Really? A lot of people, because <laughs> uh, the thing is, a lot of their stuff, um, I can't recall now, they do like headphone mixers, little deal, you know, just things which are kind of useful gadgets, sort of in the same way that um, SM Pro Audio make a lot of things that are just really useful that nobody else makes. Behringer did make quite a lot of those sort of things. But I think, obviously, since they've got this, they've got this enormous factory in China, and they've probably standardized their their ranges, so there's less of the kind of quirky, interesting stuff, and more of the sort of Route 1 looks a bit like a product um, to, to just to kind of maximise their business, which is a kind of shame. But I know they have been innovative, and I think it's unfair to make out that they're completely not. And they do sell a lot of stuff to a lot of people who couldn't afford anything else, and, you know, it's a way for them to get in. But any, but their site looks a hell of a lot like the Apple site. Uh, they remind me of the Chinese monkey bike kind of manufacturing thing where one company makes something and then another company makes something that looks just like it and it kind of filters down and the quality drops off more and more and more until you're buying something that looks the same as the other one but it's really not as good yeah there's some element of that the aluminium the quality of the aluminium that some of their stuff is made from reminds me of the chinese monkey bike engine you know the the reason they've done so well is that they've they've cut and cut and cut the production costs and they have been you know as we know one of the the first and most successful exponents of manufacture in china they were there well before digi uh, design a, a lot of other people you know yeah, and they digi just got design. sorry the digi design everything digi design have made since they've been making stuff in china has been rubbish well <laughs> Okay, I'm just sort of. I've got this little. I've got this little chart of litigious comments that's starting to mount up. <laughs> I'm not so sure this topic was to such go a to good the idea. Top of the chart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh come on! I mean, I mean, I've been buying digi design stuff for 20 years, probably, and and since they've been making stuff in China, I've sent more stuff back and had more stuff sit in the corner broken than before they were making stuff in China. So I'm basing it on that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, I think that's a fact. I know you've spoken of this uh, before, um, and I think um, you know your experience is your experience. I don't own uh, that much, or if any, digital design gear. I think I've got a dongle for uh, one of the Pro Tools LE thing, but that's about it. I don't have anything else by them. Uh, but I did have a long time ago, but it was quite some time ago. Well, I also I also have a very very nice Line Six guitar, which has Made in China stamped on the back back of it, and it's clearly been made of some lovely Chinese you know equivalent to ash or whatever the neck on it's really nice and the rosewood's nice and the fretting's good and stuff so i think behringer also have a guitar factory funnily enough i think they They make guitars too yeah Yeah, i think so because well andy um uh, my my partner in crime here um he went to the chinese behringer factory in fact um the idea was to to film a load of stuff while we were out there um unfortunately when we got there or when he got there um, they confiscated all his video equipment on entrance to China. So he was unable to actually complete that. But he did enjoy the corporate hospitality of, uh, of Behringer. And he said it was incredible. This huge factory, incredibly well run with uh, you know, thousands and thousands of loyal uh, workers who were, you know, they really kind of did, did the whole um, sort of hero worship of Uli and his team. It was quite astonishing. And, and, but, but in a sort of, um, not, not in a malevolent way, in a kind of, you know, benevolent way. He said it was really impressive, quite overpowering. 
there's one final way of looking at it, and that is that we are all old enough to remember the Japanese copy guitars from the late 70s. Tokai. And if, yeah. if you compare some of the Japanese copy guitars, like the Satellite Les Paul, did anyone have one of those? I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Honda. I mean, you compare that with what the Chinese guitars are like now, and there's no comparison. The, the Japanese copy stuff was rubbish compared to the Chinese copy stuff that they've got now or the Chinese manufactured stuff. So I guess it's not all bad. No. Uh, well, I mean, as you know, we, our demands are increasing that, you know, you can't, you can't just send any old tap over or you can have a go, but it only works once, doesn't it? You know, so yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, that's probably, uh, enough on the, uh, that particular one. I think we should maybe look at this amazing music box software, uh, which I will play now. Music Box is a music browser that creates maps of music libraries. In the center of the screen, you see a library of about 500 songs. Each song is represented by a colored circle. The location of each of these songs is determined by a principal components analysis of the song's acoustic features. This analysis results in songs being placed close to each other if they sound similar, and farther apart if they sound more different. Right now, the song circles are colored according to genre. This genre comes directly from the song's metadata. It's not being inferred from the song's acoustic properties. Color coding the genre in this way lets us see how acoustically distinct different genres are. I should mention at this point, this is a sort of fairly dry illustration of uh, a thesis product by, project by uh, Anita Lilly. Uh, it was her master's thesis at MIT Media Lab for the term ending 2008. And uh, I hope you all got a chance to check this out because I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Basically, the concept is um, it, it analy- it's an application that she wrote that analyzes your music library and takes various kind of parameters, whether it's tempo, dynamics, uh, song length, uh, density of acoustic material etc etc and also the genre that it's been assigned in your mp3 meta tags and creates a visual representation and uh, the, the the principle being that there was this sort of smear of color across the screen and on one side it's sort of r&b and hip-hop and on the other side it was classical and you could kind of pick a path through it because there would be attributes that were more classical amongst uh, maybe rock tracks etc etc and it was just really fascinating the way that she said for me um it would there would be whole stuff that was just categorized via genre which was you know via itunes or whatever but then also the program would analyze the acoustic content and stuff that didn't have a genre attribute was still gravitating properly to the areas that um, that were assigned a genre. And and there were all these different ways of navigating through your library and getting playlists together and all this, that and the other. And I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. Anyone else share my enthusiasm? Yep. I want to buy it. I don't think you can, unfortunately. I know you can't. I've been I've I clicked on every link to everything all around you know her entire site and oh, i think what's fascinating actually is when you click on the link and read the thesis and then click on the link to her website she's actually working for the data insight group at nokia research center yeah so that means that some of this kind of stuff is eventually going to end up in some of nokia's stuff which has got to be good hasn't well it? i should yeah i sure as i looking at an n97 which i was that went for and and the interface on that she sure they sure could have done with her help on that that's for sure and then there's something interesting that i've noticed about this as well and that is with uh the way color relates to the spiritual uh centers in the human body uh-huh uh 
it was interesting that red is related to the bass chakra, which is right at the bottom of the okay. spinal cord. And rap music is associated with red, while the, the more pink end of the spectrum, which is associated with the crown chakra at the top of the head, which is associated with like enlightenment, etc., etc. The classical music's at that end of the spectrum. So it's almost kind of like the rap music is this dark, earthy kind of demonic force, <laughs> while the, the classic music is almost like the music of the gods. So I thought I found that quite interesting. I don't know if she did that deliberately or if it was just completely by chance, but I. I found that fascinating. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it could be right. It could be right. Uh, I mean, I would. It, there was a comment uh, on her blog which says, uh, "Hi Anita, I would love to work with you to create music box into an actual publicly released software application." And this was from a chap who was a experienced designer who interface designer who worked on a variety of Apple products. <laughs> and uh, so, right. obviously, she's going to be sort of fairly sought after, I'd imagine, um, in terms of because it's just a great idea. And Rich, uh, sorry, Dave Spears, did you? Did you get a chance to see it? And what did you what did you think? I, I did see it. I thought it was very clever, but it was really dull. And I, it I don't, wasn't I, dull. I, I don't know about this kind of this obsession with categorising things. Why not live in chaos? That's what I say. <laughs> no, but it is chaos, Dave. That's the whole point. I mean, my, my iTunes library. I'm so annoyed with categories, and I have such difficulty trying to work out what categories are. I highlighted the whole library and deleted all the categories. So if this thing puts things that don't have a category into a space where you can find them with other things that are like them, then you don't have to have the categories anymore. I think she should just throw the categories bit out and then just have this color coding, which is so cool. I think, yeah, but I think the color coding was derived from the from the categories and it was an illustrative oh, was point. It? it illustrated that you could rely on the the categories were sort of matched up with their acoustic properties which was that was the sort of interesting but uh, uh maybe i've misunderstood it then i just want its acoustic properties to have a color assigned to it okay and for those things to live in the same space maybe, okay so i'm, I'm sure you could configure it because it's just it, it, it could just configure anyway it reminds pe- me of a designer we had a designer years ago couldn't actually do anything unless it was related to semiotics and we were going dude it's not a career it's just a logo God's sake. You know what I mean? But this obsession with kind of shoehorning something into some space. Were they French? I, I found, no, he was English actually, oh. but I found that when I ripped all my stuff from CD and put it into iTunes, it just became really boring. I like the kind of chaos of not knowing what comes next or randomly selecting something off of a shelf and putting it on or going, actually, I've listened to that. The tune I want to hear now is this. And not having these kind of things determined, predetermined for me. I know it sounds slightly reactionary and unsustainable, but... Uh, well, it's interesting because it does kind of link to uh, a, a possible next topic. Um, but I, I'll, I'd like to ask PJ and Dave what they, what they thought about it first. And then perhaps we can link to it there. So, Rich, even. I'll get my words right in a minute. Rich, yeah. what do you think? Do you think it would help? Do you, like the, do you like what it's doing? Can you see it working for a large library or you fairly know what you want already? Not my style. I'm a little like Dave in this regard. Genres were something that were invented by marketing men to, so they could find slots in the record store in which to put their product. Um, and if you go by the there's two kinds of music, good music and bad music model, then you have far fewer colors in that little splotch. Um, so, mm. no, it's not for me. Okay. <laughs> in short. Doesn't oh, well, work. that's fair enough. It was interesting uh, as a 
design concept, and I see where she's coming from. And genres have now become ubiquitously accepted, and and they just they're just everywhere. And I understand they're part of the culture. And I'm not you know starting a religion reacting against. This. <laughs> I'm just I'm just not particularly intrigued by using them in any. Okay, way. I find it limiting. All right, okay, PJ. See, uh, like Rich and Dave, I completely agree with their assessment of genre and what genre is and how genre limits you. Mm. But what I what I find interesting about this particular piece of software is its ability to look at dimensions of the properties of music on mm. different axes. So, for instance, you could take your entire sound library and look at it in terms of duration, you know, dur- duration and, and tempo of songs. Yeah. And you, you get you get. Uh, there's a there's a number of famous treatises by a mathematician named Edmund Tull, and he wrote about the display of visual data and and how that you know that re- how how we relate to the display of visual data. And I've often thought that we've been relating to these things in very kind of kludgy ways, you know, ever since we've gotten into the the, the ability to be able to program these these sort of three D shapes and models. I've been waiting for something like this, where you can actually look at a conglomerate of data like like your music library, and you can look at it in different ways. And it doesn't necessarily make it a better, you know, a, be- a better uh, jukebox or something like that, in my opinion. Because like like Rich or Dave, I, I'd rather I just rather set iTunes to shuffle or grab an album off the shelf or something like that. But um, it allows you to sort of view this composite of material. In different ways, and maybe it would give you different insights. Or maybe yeah, I mean, to- I agree because I mean, I, whenever when I was just working, when I just had CDs, I would still be in a situation where I kind of look at the the shelf and just think uh, I always reach for the same thing because I was I had a habit that was formed of listening, and I, I maybe had a load of stuff in there that I didn't really listen to that often. And this way, surely would allow you to sort of rediscover aspects to your tunes that you own in different ways and maybe throw something and say, oh i haven't heard that for ages i've forgotten i'd had it you know and it may just do you see what i mean you can you can manage it but it also and another thing that would be interesting about this in terms of a of a playback device is is that path that path tool that you mentioned earlier mm. seems to me extrapolates a path from what the software itself has analyzed as one genre to another so if you taking her example if you went from hard-hitting rap on the left all the way to classical or new age on the right all through rock and dance and pop in the center where there's a a huge aggregate of material it would be interesting to hear how the software interpolated that path you know Mm. what what your material would it choose to get from point a to point b to point c to point b so on i think that kind of thing always fascinates me it's just more of a mental exercise than it is you know, sit, you know, sitting down and, and, uh, you know, enjoying the music itself. <laughs> God forbid. I mean, I'd, I'd like to be able to just, uh, go at somewhere in the middle of that color thing and kind of say, well, what kind of mood am I in? I'm in a kind of a green mood and pick and, and draw a circle in the middle of green and for it to pick a whole load of stuff, but not based on somebody else's idea of category and genre, but based on analysis done by the computer software well this this can do that it had analyzed things and found things that sounded like classical music which were rock hadn't it yeah so i'd I'd like all the music in the world in one of those things so i can go in and i could i mean i suppose they're trying to do it with genius but they still haven't quite done that have they but if if genius analyzed the actual 
waveforms of the music and then i could go and i could type in my favorite track which might be um i'm in love with a german film star by the passions or whatever they were was that who it was by? i don't, know. Uh, yeah, I don't, know. Yeah. I don't recall well, and then, well spot. And type that in and then it will just select a whole load of things that sound like that or have the have same similar fingerprint feel so that if i want to have that feeling continue after i've had that three minutes of that particular song that has an emotive thing that I like, then I can continue that particular feel for an hour, two hours or whatever, because the software's worked out what tempo right. and mood the music needs to have for me to to continue in that mood. I agree. I mean, I think it could be kind of interesting, but that's, I think it just depends on how you listen to stuff. I mean, cause Dave, I know you're kind of quite, you're quite into the music and, you know, into certain kind of specific aspects. Maybe you listen to music in certain ways and this just doesn't fit that. So, you know, it wouldn't necessarily give you anything that you can't already get from your own imagination. Yeah, I don't I, Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not saying that. I mean, it's really just, I like curveball. Right. You know, I used to go to some clubs and they'd be playing, I don't know, a bit of house. And then all of a sudden they play Monster Mash. And you can't go, <laughs> yay! And it was a whole different vibe. Yes. So I, I, I don't know, but I've kind of got a bit of a downer on this, just constantly trying to categorize everything and everybody. And well, it's da- databasing, isn't it? I suppose is the sort of the thing, but it's... It is databasing. That's mm. exactly what it is, yeah. We have computers, they have databases, we have to use them for something. Well, at this point, it's probably a good time to throw in uh, a message from our second sponsor, who are loopmasters.com, who are very good at um, at all sorts of different genres of music. Do you see what I did there? Kind of smooth. eh? (laughs) Yeah, cool. And um, and we'd like to say thank you very much to their continued sponsorship. Obviously, they are uh, always releasing new libraries, uh, loop types, uh, all sorts of different formats, all sorts of different musical styles. Head over to loopmasters.com. You can go and check it out. They've got a a ton of stuff. Uh, Something released almost every week, it seems like. Uh, and if you want to find out what their stuff is like, uh, I suggest what you can do is you can download a sort of free sample pack by emailing free stuff at sonicstate.com. We'll send you the link back and you can download uh, a zip file of selected selected WAVs for you to just mess around with and see whether they fit in with, with what you're working on musically-wise. Uh, and if not, um, you can always subscribe to their newsletter, which you will have the opportunity to when you email us, which allows them to send you news of their new releases and also kind of makes the whole sponsorship kind of money changing how things kind of work for everybody so if you want to get into what loop masters is doing uh, email free stuff at sonicstate.com for your free sample pack also uh, just go over and check loopmasters.com and while you're at it check out looptv.net it's their video podcast it's a monthly thing and uh, they've got a bunch of stuff over there they've just re-encoded all of their videos to be nice and uh, smooth and flash like a uh, lot higher quality better download speeds and uh, there's tutorials from uh, the f- fabulous rob jones i think the last one was uh, using the vocoder in live 8 and there's also uh, interviews with various loop producers and sort of behind the scenes things sort of gear they use looptv.net go and check that out loopmasters.com to check out their sounds and if you want the free stuff free stuff at sonicstate.com we thank very much loopmasters.com for their continued sponsorship of the show and with that um, we can move on to our final topic now we've got a choice here uh, I'm thinking that perhaps um, we could either do the Johnny Greenwood Radiohead talking about MP3s good enough but or we can do the remix Roiksop uh, which I thought there might be the opportunity to do a bit of synth spotting. But uh, what, uh, so I'll, I'll take a poll. What would you like? And the chat room is quite happy to um, uh, to chip in at this, but let's start with the panel. Any any preferences? 
I'm sorry, I didn't listen to the Roiksop thing. I didn't get time. Okay. I don't have to listen to Roiksop either. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I can't spot the sin. I think the decision has been made. I listen to it and it doesn't interest me. Okay. It? Well, there we go. So that's nice and simple. But if you're interested, you can remix Roy Scott. Uh, Roy Scott, there's uh, a bunch of stems that are there for download. Uh, I think uh, it's got to be uh, available until, I think it's October the 31st. Check them out. They're on SoundCloud. There's a news item uh, from us a couple of weeks ago or a week ago. Uh, check it out. But in the meantime, um, obviously, this, the title of this uh, next topic was Paste Link Run for Cover. And it was uh, Radiohead guitarist. Uh, Johnny Greenwood in a New Yorker interview as part of their series Sound on Sound of Sound. Um, Johnny Greenwood is Radiohead's guitarist, and his general tenet was he thought MP3 sounded fine. Um, but it sort of ties into our previous topic, which was the the big problem with MP3s is they kind of encourage people to hoard music, which allows them. Uh, and he says people are encouraged to own far more music than they can ever give their full attention to. People will have MP3s of every Miles Davis record, but never think of hearing any of them of any of them twice in a row. It's just too much to get through. You're thinking, I've got sketches of Spain and bitches brew. Let's zip through these while I'm finished that email, for instance. And that abundance can push any any music into the background and make it furniture music. And so there's a couple of points there. And I wondered. Um, I, I imagine our panel may have an opinion on this. I know it's it's probably a fairly easy target, but uh, I don't know. I'm getting more and more used to MP3s, and I wonder is that is that a dangerous thing? Is it uh, is it okay? Am I am I losing my edge what what do you think is going on there and uh, let's start with pj oh okay <clears throat> well um i think you know depending on the encoder 320 kilobyte mp3 is very similar in my mind to 16-bit uh audio um it's i mean there, there's a little bit of kind of top end thing but i yeah i guess just for day-to-day listening and whatnot uh, i don't have a i don't have much of a problem with it um, and in terms of the music hoarding, uh, aspect of it, I, I entirely agree with that. And, um, I mean, I, I have had the experience in the past, uh, of listening to Miles Davis, uh, specifically, uh, kind of blue over and over and over again. <laughs> Me and too. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'll just put the CD player on loop and listen to that album maybe five, six times in a row. And when you have, um, not me specifically, but I have noticed this, that when you have thousands and thousands of songs in your iTunes library, it can, it does seem to be more of a limitation than it is because you don't, you're not able to give the music it's, it's due in, in my opinion. Also, it, it, I mean, an obvious, this is obvious as well. It's sort of destroyed the experience of listening to albums for a lot of people because they tend to playlist. Things. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's definitely true. And that's, that is kind of, sad but um as someone who's uh, struggled to make a consistent album that's not so much of a loss for me in terms of making it but uh, i think it does cut out an enormous amount of artistic input for a lot of people but as rich um you pointed out in your eight track the story about uh, working in the eight track place i mean that's been going on for years yeah i guess well uh, i'll take that i'll pick up the gauntlet then um i think for the most part this guy's right although to say it's only Stuff that isn't MP3 is only useful for a so-and-so is a little weird. But as relates to the way music fits into our lives these days, quite a bit of it is used as background or as what I think Eno once referred to as wallpaper to your lifestyle. And (laughs) so to the extent that it's used that way, 
the fact that it's not full bandwidth audio doesn't really matter that much, but um, it sure doesn't sound as good to me. I no, mean, and we've been through that. We've been through this one. We have been through this. I mean, I think uh, from my point of view, you know, the way you hear it is obviously in the studio on good monitoring. You also really hear it live. I mean, you know, MP3s do not cut it on a PA system. I mean, you just, it, it sounds dreadful because you're hearing so much sound. It's just impossible, you know, whereas, you know, on a pair of earbuds or some crappy computer monitors, sure. I wonder if that's as much to do with the compression process as it is to do with the way things are recorded and mixed these days. Hmm. So if you took, for example, that same Steely Dan album that they all seem to like to play before the concert. <laughs> oh, that one. Uh, I know that one. <laughs> whatever. Or, or, or Nightfly. Yeah. One, or th- one of three or four of them. <laughs> and compress them properly and play them through the stadium PA. I'm not sure it's going to make that much of a difference because you'll still have a certain amount of dynamics to it. You won't have the same separation and frequency. And you know, it's it. He's right that it's good enough for most things because of the way music has taken its place in our society. Uh, Niall and I used to joke, you know, do you think kids like sit around in a circle, put on like the latest album by, you know, whoever, and, you know, and listen really intently like we used to do. And, you know, when the Mahavishnu Orchestra or Jimi Hendrix would release an album. And I'm quite sure having quite a few of those aged people over at my house quite often that they don't. And uh, so it's a different culture. It, it, it takes a different function in your life. They've got different dope, though. That's what it is. <laughs> They've had the THC messed around within their cannabis, which means that they're way more spaced out than we ever were. I'd like to say, allegedly, of course, they're. Of course. <laughs> You've uh, only, only heard that second hand, I'm sure. Echo Sonic do <laughs> says in the chat room... Uh, uh, a seven-inch single is pretty cruddy, and I do remember listening to uh, sort of vinyl. You know, I mean, before twelve inches came along, seven-inch singles sounded appalling. I mean, they just you know you play them on a decent stereo, and they just sound rubbish. I mean, they just, you know. Oh, well, MP3 no, I disagree. Like. Actually, okay. <laughs> I love seven-inch singles. Oh, too bright and just kind of no bottom end because no, because the- that guy, that guy used to uh, what was his name, Porky Pig or something. Porky's what? Prime Cuts. Him, yes. I he used him. to master everything by squeezing everything through something and like you listen to the like you listen to Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers on an album and it would sound one way and you listen to it on the seven inch blue vinyl single and it would just sound so loud and gritty and just radio different. Yeah. Just had bollocks to it, I suppose. Mm. And you wouldn't get that from an MP three because the moment you turn it into an MP three it goes all kind of glassy and weird. I remember mm-hmm. going to um, to attend a cut at Porky's Prime Cuts actually because he's the chap. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he's the chap who uh, had the the nerve to press uh, Tom's Diner when we first did it. He did the the white labels for us, and if you uh, if you ever get hold of a copy of it, it's got something written in the side because he always used to write a little message in the in the spiral on the out, and it was always some kind of you know moderately amusing thing i can't remember what he wrote in uh, tom's diner i've got a few vinyl copies around it but various other pl- things too but we, we met him and uh he he took us uh, we took him out for a big chinese meal afterwards and he was the most misogynistic <laughs> kind of really unpolitically correct difficult to be with kind of person it was really it's a bit of hard work <laughs> and he's legendary <laughs> but he's legendary a great guy one of the best mastering engineers for vinyl ever, ever yeah Absolutely. And he did like the beat. He's been around for a very long I don't know if he's still alive. I mean, he was kind of getting on a bit when we were um, 
when we were doing that sort of thing. So it must be at least 20 years ago. That, I mean, there's things like John Otway and Wild Willie Barrett. You listen to the difference between the sound of this, the seven-inch single and the album, and it almost sounds like a different track, but it's just that somebody's manipulated the sound of it to get mm. it on a seven-inch single louder, because you can, because the thing's running at 45 RPM, so you can have wider groove, so you can have more volume. So it's all about... It's all about analog, isn't it? And what's yes, I suppose possible so. within the space of the amount of vinyl that you've got without skipping through the edge of one trough into the next one or whatever. Yeah, there's a real there's a, there's a sort of a mechanical aspect to the the creation of the music which is sort of interesting which you know as we know it's possible to have kind of deep meaningful relationships with uh, electronic equipment that's mechanical at least I talk um, from my point of view but uh, so maybe there's an extra energy that goes in there and a, and a skill that uh, only comes from years of experience. Rich, I'm sure you'll agree. Of course. Absolutely. Um, and related to what Mark was saying, the, the, the subsequent problem then became having playback systems that were sufficiently either low mass or whatever, you know, high viscosity that would actually track these things. Yeah. The most famous example being the Telarc 1812 with the real cannon. And you could actually look at the surface of the record and see this like diagonal line across the groove, like where the cannon hits. <laughs> like nothing would track it. I, you know Probably. what? I remember um, there was a bloke on a program called Tomorrow's World in the UK who was, uh, I think it was Tomorrow's World or maybe it's Blue Peter, one of the sort of uh, those seventies programs who used to be able to look at a record and read the grooves and tell and tell what it was. Do you remember that, Dave Spears? Do you ever see him? No, no, I'm, I'm sure that's possible. Yeah, he used to be able to look at it and say, "Yeah, that's such and such by so and so. That's so and so, and that you know, and that's the Decca recording, and that's blah blah, you know." I'm sure. I, I wonder if he was that. just reading the Porky's Prime Cuts inscriptions on the spiral. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm sure. I'm sure any of us could do that because we're doing it in a different way now. We just throw something up in Pro Tools, and when I'm whenever I'm editing anything, if 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 I record somebody speaking, I'll put it up in front of them, and I'll go. That's where you said such and such, and I put the cursor on that point and play it, and they look at me completely flabbergasted that I knew that that's what it was. Do you so think you, you tra- but- you'd track? Yeah, yeah, you do. But could you, could you, given a series of waveforms, just wave? Do you reckon that you could actually uh, tell what piece of music it was? If you told me it's going to be from twenty different pieces of music, I mean, I'm just looking at my iTunes library now, right? If you're looking at, if you looked at something and yeah, and it says, it says five thousand five hundred and sixty-four items, forty-three and a half days. So if I wanted to listen to everything in my library, I'd have I'd still be here in bloody October, when December. <laughs> no, yeah, but yeah, November. But um, so if you said, Mark, I'm going to play you a random piece of music from your iTunes library, but I'm just going to show you the waveform. Do you know what it is? I think the answer to that would obviously be no. But I've also got a playlist which is my top. 10 favorite pieces of music out of those 5,564 items. And if you showed me any of those as a waveform, I reckon that I would be able to tell you what they were. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Kind of leads back to the visual kind of concept of it. And Rich, you probably, you'd probably be quite good at that because you're working with tools a lot. So you're going to be mm. seeing waveforms on a daily basis. I do, Rich, but I can't, I can't do what Mark just described. But you'd be able to tell where all the downbeats of the guitars were. 
Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at that sort. I'm, I'm pretty good, good at, at uh, with musical content. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty good. With musical. Uh, okay, well, um, I, I guess that's probably a, a good time to leave things. And much, once again, thank you very much for hanging in there, everybody, because it was a bit of a shaky start, but it seems to have been okay. I hope I haven't been too uh, kind of um, messed up on my audio going out to you guys over there. Um, but thank you very much for joining us. And once again, thank you very much to everybody in the chat room, of course. We really appreciate that you're here. And I'm um, glad for sticking in there. Obviously, the transcript will be available in the show notes, which seems to be becoming a, a regular feature now. And I, I kind of find it quite good you throw up you click on the link and it throws up a blank page with the player at the top that you can play the tune you can play the show and then just look down uh, and read stuff as it comes past it's not you know linked to time but you can roughly tell what's going on so um anyway uh, let's say thank you very much to my current guests uh, who are with me live uh, first off we'll say thank you very much to rich hilton from connecticut who i guess is going to be off into the studio doing great things in I'll a, work on that great things bit, yeah. Any minute. I'll, I'll, t- I'll do the best I can on the great things part. I'm sure you don't need to try that hard, Rich. <laughs> and, uh, well, Rich can be found at myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. And also, we'll say, while we're on the other side of the pond, uh, in uh, we'll say goodbye to PJ Tracy, PJ Tracy Music. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. It's been great. Great to have you back. It seems like yeah. it's been a long time. But um, don't stay away too long. No, most definitely not. Uh, but obviously keep getting plenty of work. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> okay. And um, that, that, I did say PJ Tracy Music. Let's say uh, thank you very much to uh, Dave Spears also, who's uh, taking some time out. I know you've been very busy recently, so thanks for joining us again, Dave. Uh, thank you. Good fun. Excellent. And if this uh, wave drum, a new wave drum comes out, I'll, I'll give you a ring and maybe you can come and give it a whack and see what you think of it. Yeah, that'd be great okay uh geforcesoftware.com for dave stuff and finally and certainly no by by name is leastly uh mark tinley from cambridgeshire thank you very much for joining us yeah thank you very much cool i'm guessing it worked out well with um with the school run and everything so um it was a bit tight actually but it was okay if you hadn't have crashed at the beginning i guess i would have been joining the talk late you've been a bit late okay i didn't walk in the back door till five past four so it's a little bit tight Woo! Hey. Well, I hope you enjoy a motorcycle and you don't lose your undercarriage anytime soon. I'm going to have to Velcro my bum to the seat or something. You have a safety belt, a seat Velcro belt. Velcro trousers and a safety belt, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I just have to ride it sensibly. If I open it up too much and go over bumps, I've got to Pay bear in mind that I'm very likely to fall off. Yes, bare-assed wipeout. Mm. And the other thing, I was going to go somewhere on it last night. And the place is 18 miles away. And I thought, well, that's quite a long way to ride on that bike. And then the bike sounds like a thunderclap from hell coming through the town. I thought the moment I go out at 7 o'clock in the evening, the police are probably going to stop me. So I yeah. should be careful about that. Can't, don't you get um, a kind of a screw-on silencer or something? I suppose I could. But the other problem is that there were several roundabouts on the way, and it's doesn't really do roundabouts <laughs> <laughs> you just have to ride straight over the middle <laughs> and then when i get to uh when i get to the destination the speed humps there and as i've only got an inch and a half ground clearance it doesn't really do speed humps either it hit the exhaust hits the ground when i go over speed humps. so oh it's altogether the most impractical motorcycle i've ever owned and ridden <laughs> but i saw the picture and it looks absolutely great oh it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant have you noticed the eyelets on the back of the frame for the plough? No, I didn't get a chance to see that. Have it, if it, if somebody asked me what they're for, but I'm planning to put a plough on the back of it. 
I want to take it to a bike show, basically, and stick it on a stand at a bike show with a bloody great big stainless steel plow stuck on the back of it. So that when people <laughs> walk in, they're just like, what the hell is that? Trick people into letting me win the, comp- the, uh, the uh, prize, you know, the custom builder's prize. Right, well, my audio is cutting out loads, so I think I'm going to have to just stop the show here. That was Sonic Talk number 145, um, brought to you by our sponsors, Roland.co.uk and their Juno DI, and also Loopmasters.com. So thanks once again, and that's it for now.